this is awesome this is awesome i'm really really excited to have mr dave with us again today um for cabin devils as we continue to look at this humongous series uh concerning marriage and i know we've had mr dave and uh carol before they did talk about uh singleness a while ago and i'm sure you guys were blessed uh by that Again, we do have a couple of friends who have joined us. Uh, we have Kipson, who is getting married very soon. I'm forgetting that date. Uh, Kipson, kindly help us type that in the in the chat. I think it's January something. I don't want to guess a name, but I mean a, a figure. But it's sometime coming up, sometime very soon in next month, early next year. And I know you're going to be blessed uh, by this particular episode. We do have. Uh, Jenny with us, we have uh, Sefatu, Florence is also here with us, African Mama and Mildred were some of the first people to join us uh, this evening. And Mr. Dave, I know that this conversation is going to be a long one, but we're going to get in straight to the point, straight to the point, why usually we have these uh, more like uh, curtain raisers on most shows, but I think this will be scraping around for time at the end, unless we take every minute that we have. So I'd like us to come straight into our conversation. Pretend you're talking to me, Mr. Dave, and the rest of us are simply listening in. Um, why? Because I think this should be some sort of marriage uh, counseling. I wanted to call it marriage therapy. I don't even think there's anything like that. Because as I was thinking about marriages, um, there is no perfect marriage. And I know this, this, this is something that most people have talked about or like experienced. There is no perfect marriage. And those of us who are listening in right now, this is not a time for us to uh, begin to, in quotes, crucify you. Uh, for the things that you are working on in your marriages. But this is a time for us to grow together. And so I'd like us to ask very candid questions and be bold with your questions. They're not going to imply anything um, in any way. You can say I'm asking for a friend if you'd like to ask for a friend. Huh. I have so many questions I would like to ask for a friend. And my first question for a friend. <laughs> um, Mr. Dave, as we talk about a Christ-centered marriage, what, what's the difference? Because we've had people uh, mention that it's not the same when someone says put Christ first is not really the same as a Christ-centered marriage. And I think I have a clue of what they mean. It's like praying before you eat, uh, before you, you, you share a meal, you pray and give thanks. But then the conversation around the table is not, is not christ it's not, it's, not, it's not Christ-centered at all. And so that's an example of someone who, in a way, has put Christ first, but they've not put Christ at the center of that particular point in time. But could you just use a few minutes to describe for us the difference between a Christ-centered marriage and one that simply put Christ first? Mr. Dave. Okay, thank you. And Carol is here. Carol Sue is here. Hello. Uh, it's good for Hello. us to be back with, we recognize quite a number of the names uh, that have already joined, and I'm sure uh, you have others that listen later on as well. Um, so we're, we're pleased to be with you, talking straight from our living room in Brazil, uh, South America. We just got back from a, a seven-hour drive to be here in time to be able to talk to your audience today, and uh, we are excited about that. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of metaphors that we use as Christians and we fail to, to put hands and feet on concepts 
So we talk about uh, putting Christ first in the marriage, making Christ the foundation of the marriage, and even our topic, putting Christ in the center of the marriage. But we fail to define exactly what we mean uh, by those terms. We often do something that uh, in Portuguese we would say, de boca para fora, which means from the mouth to the outside. But it's not from the heart uh, to develop, to, to, to influence the rest of our lives. We're just talking and, and, and boxing the air and, and saying a lot of empty truisms. Uh, the same is true when we talk about glorifying God. We, we talk about glorifying God, but most of us don't have a concrete idea of what that looks like in our day to day. So when you talk about putting Christ first in the marriage, I think oftentimes people are, are confusing a hierarchy of priorities with linked priorities. Putting Christ first doesn't mean um, praying at the beginning of the day or the beginning of a, of a meal. Okay, he was first, but he didn't influence anything else in the rest of our lives. I like to think about priorities uh, from a, a concentric circle view. When Christ is the center, the arrow that hits that center passes through many other areas of our lives. Uh, we could even make it synonymous with the idea of glorifying God. Yes, glorifying God is our first priority, but it's not unrelated to our family. It's not related unrelated to our work. It's not unrelated to our play and sports and every other area of our lives. That's the problem in my mind with the idea of putting Christ first. Okay, he got the first shot, but now I'm going to do what I want to do. He gets Sunday, but I get the rest of the week. He gets 10%, but I get the rest of my, my money. That's not at all what a biblical God-centered, Christ-centered life looks like. Uh, where Christ, where glorifying God is the center and every other aspect of our lives, if we're to, to, the arrow is to hit the center, it must pass through all those other areas as well. Awesome. Um, it, that, that, that's what it is. I think that's exactly what it should be. Uh, we, Dr. I mean, uh, Dave, we did have uh, a friend who joined us once on this podcast and he was talking about the first miracle that Christ performed and he used the analogy of how the guests mentioned and said, hey, he served the better wine, the best wine last. And he used that metaphor analogy to mean some of us who get married, we usually serve the good wine first. The first three years of our marriage, we are all nice. And then the children come in and we bring out the bad wine. <laughs> <laughs> the true colors. <laughs> and, and, and he just kept saying, when Christ is in your marriage, you bring out the fine wine last. Why? Because every day, better and better. And so uh, at least we've cleared the air for the beginning, that he's not just at the beginning. Christ is only at the beginning when the, you are the altar. But how can he be in every area of our lives, at least in our marriage? I'm going to ask two more questions. Uh, maybe you could answer both at the same time. But when you came to Uganda a couple of years ago, I tried to trace the year and I couldn't. Uh, a friend of mine, I think, mentioned 2000, what was it, 2017 or 19, when uh, it, the family conference? Um, I think it was uh, 2017. It must have been 20, 2017, yes. There are several. Honestly, I remember 
two main ones, and I shared with one already with you so far time. But the other that I remember was when you gave the illustration, I think it was you and Sue standing in front of, uh, of us at the stage, just to draw a picture for our friends who are listening in. And you said it begins out with the two of us in this marriage. And as, but children begin to come into the picture and you gave first a bad example of uh, a child coming in between you. And, and as you have more children, the gap between you and your wife begins to expand, begins to expand. But the picture you gave us later on was one where the children come to the side. They don't come in between. And at this point in time, you know that I'm coming to the question of a child-centered home, a child-centered home. It is not Christ, but now it's beginning to be a child-centered home. Let me, let me share with you a statement that is most common with families that are child-centered. And maybe we could help a family that is listening in right now. Where either a husband or a wife gets to a point and their only statement sounds something like this, I'm only in this because of my children. They get to a point where they can't handle the issues in the marriage and they're only staying for the sake of the children. And I think that's the epitome not, not the only example. I think that's the epitome of a child-centered uh, home. Um, could you just take a few minutes, Dave, to, to just speak to one or two of us who might be here and have reached that state where we are only in this marriage for the sake of the children? Otherwise, we would have left. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dave. All right. Um, Dave asked me to answer this one. <laughs> um, all right. Thank if you we so go much. <laughs> All the way back to Genesis, when God created the couple, the very first couple, he said that man, and this was he, he put for our benefit because he said man shall leave father and mother. And obviously we know that Adam didn't have a father and mother. So this is for our benefit. Should cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That means you need to leave everyone. Your father and your mother are up until this point were the very closest relationship that you had. And yet in, in comparison with the husband wife relationship, you leave everyone else because this is the central relationship of the home. Now you are an independent family unit. Now, if God blesses, he will, he will give children and they will come. But like, what we like to say is we started just the two of us and we will continue just the two of us. The children come and they leave, but we need to focus on developing our relationship because that is the foundation of our family. And so the example that you said, and we usually um, do this um, showing people we'll start out holding hands and we're just married and God gives us a child. And so that child comes. And as you said, we, then the child comes and he separates mom and dad and he holds and he's right in the middle. And so now we're kind of a family circle that's going around and around the child, but there's a distance between this. And if the child is the one who's in control and everything is done in order to please the child and all attention goes to the child first, well, our relationship is kind of put on a back burner. If you end up with another child, you have two or three or four, and you're trying to have everything um, go according to what those children want, you're circling around these many children 
the parents are very distant from each other. And so what we like to dramatize is um, at this point, there's a big space between the mom and the dad. And when the children end up leaving to go to college or to get married or to get a job or whatever, mom and dad are really far away from each other. And there's not much of a relationship left. You don't even know each other. The way it should be is God is the center of the family. Mom and dad's relationship comes first. That does not mean that we neglect our children. We give them the things that they need, but we take the time to invest in our relationship, to grow our friendship. And they are very welcome members to our family, but they are not the center of our family. And so mom and dad stay with our hands holding hands and the children add on to the circle. We're still a family circle, but mom and dad are holding hands together and the children come and the children leave and we're still holding hands. We actually have applied that in our own lives um, in, in simple, practical ways. And, and there's no verse in the Bible that says that you have to do it this way. But uh, as an example, sitting in a church service, um, mom and dad sit together and the children are added on to the edges uh, at the dinner table. Mom and dad sit together and the children are added around the table. A in our family with raising our six children, uh, oftentimes it was a competition. We had to remember who was the last one that got the net to sit next to dad, who got to sit next to mom, but they're on the outer edges. They're not the center. When we say that, we're also not saying that the spouse is the center of the home. The husband-wife relationship as ordained by God, starting in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, but continuing throughout the scriptures, um, when Christ is the center, he expects us to prioritize the husband-wife relationship above all other relationships, including with our own parents and with our own children. Mr. Dave, I think you have done this for a very long time. You somehow were able to get to my second question, my third question. <laughs> but that's that's okay. Let me Dave, ask can my I, third Can question. I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. I, because uh, yeah. I do want to go back to the, the specific example that you gave and, and be a little bit more direct. Because you, you mentioned a family that the couple is staying together because they have lost their first love. They have gone through conflicts and difficulties, perhaps because Christ has not been the center of the home or because their children have become the center and they're only staying together before the children. The simple answer to that is this is sin. This is absolutely wrong. This is Satan's plan for our families. The husband-wife relationship must be rescued at this point. This, this friend of yours that you <laughs> mentioned who has this situation needs help desperately. Uh, it's interesting when, when John writes to the church in Ephesus, actually when Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he describes the loss of their first love for the Lord. But the principles he gives in that passage in Revelation chapter 2 can also apply to any relationship that's lost its first love. And, and Jesus calls the church to rescue its lost love by remembering from where they had fallen, by repeating their first works. 
So these are two very practical steps that a couple that has lost the centrality of Christ in their home by making their relationship a priority, oftentimes we will challenge couples to remember what it was that attracted them to the other in the first place, to rehash, to rehearse uh, those moments when they first got to know each other and to share the stories. And it's amazing how remembering that first passion, that first love, or as you put it, that good wine that is so often served in the beginning, remembering that and then repeating some of those things that we did in the beginning can also rekindle our first love. Amen. Remember, remember that that's 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 awesome. That is awesome. And I think one of the ways that we can practically remember is by watching the wedding video again together with your wife. If you can, yeah. that's one practical way to do it. And today we want to leave with very very practical uh, steps. Mr. Dave, I want to ask a question that I hope you will answer on Friday. Please don't answer it now. Answer it on Friday if you can. You could even postpone maybe next year, just so as we can keep these guys coming. But there's a very, <laughs> very hot topic that came out <laughs> that came out in a newspaper. Monitor. I forget the date. I'll get the date one of these days. But it had something to do with men and women deciding that ladies should be paid for staying home to do the housework. They're saying because women are taking care of homes, then the men get these fancy jobs. And so the husbands need to start paying money to their wives. And it has become a long discussion. I'm not going to get there right now. That is something that we have to answer at some point okay. on this podcast. One day, one day we'll answer that question. Not today. Okay. But let me ask my final question, Mr. Dave. Um, and you did hint on this in your in your in your first answer that you gave us when you, when you finished the child centered home and explaining uh, with the illustration even at the dining table of them sitting beside mom and dad not in between but Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 is a very commonly quoted verse when it comes to marriage and I'm sure you're going to pull it up at some point in this discussion but let me pull it up before you do Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members, we are members of his of his body. And another, I think his name is Emerson, has done a whole book and titled it Love and Respect. Why? Because we've thought about this as the central passage, that if we did these two things, everything will be fine. And what are these two things? Husbands loving their wives, and therefore wives submitting to their husbands. And we've lived the rest of our marriages trying to make this work. And it sounds like it just does not work. The more you try to make it work, the more it just does not work. And so we begin to leave our marriages, again, partner-centered, where we are focused on the wife. As the man, I'm thinking, how can I please my wife? And the wife is thinking, how can I please this man 
So what happens? The wife does everything she can to please the man, but the man is not pleased. He still comes back home late. He's still not impressed by the food and he's still angry. He's still, and then the man tries to do everything that he can to please his wife, but he just never is able to please her. Why? Because there's always more housework to be done. I mean, the question is coming up again. Please don't answer that question yet, Mr. Dave. But there's so much that is happening in the home that we are both overwhelmed trying to please each other. How do we stop this crazy circle? that never ends and center on Christ. Well, David, I think you're touching on a a more basic question in the Christian life. And that would be, what do we base our identity on? Is my identity having a perfect family? Is my identity being a wonderful wife and a, or a wonderful, um, a, a wonderful mother, a wonderful father? Is my identity based on getting everything right? When we do things in our own strength, we wind up exhausted. And so that is not the goal. The ultimate goal is not to please your husband or please your wife. That can be an intermediate goal in order to reach the final goal, which is obeying Christ, looking like Christ, being like Christ. But if I try to do that in my own strength, if I try to do ministry in my own strength, if I try to be an employer or an employee and please my boss or please those who work for me, in all of those things, I'm loading on myself the kind of burden that the Pharisees loaded on people in the New Testament. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. He actually uses a term that was used of the loads and the burdens that the Pharisees would place on people of expectations and a to-do list and, and, and legalism. And Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. How are we going to find rest? He says, take upon, take my yoke. That would be that that bar that would hold two cattle together to plow a field. Well, Jesus is the one who carries the load. We're just in it with him. We're following his lead. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and humble and you will find rest for your souls because I, my yoke is, is easy and my burden is light. So when it's all about us, when it's all about me trying to please my husband or my wife, oftentimes it's to get what I want, either approval or an identity or or a reputation. It's all about me and a Christ-centered family. That's not it at all. So when we when we let Jesus be carry the yoke and we die to ourselves and the golden mask of performance suddenly what was a burden becomes a joy. And I will always fail. I will never be everything that my wife needs. I can't be that because only Jesus can be that. I will always fail as a husband of a fa- and a father. But a- a- as I am trying to please Christ and letting him bear the burden, I begin to do those things not in my strength and in his strength. Then when I fail, I confess my failure and I move on. And, and as I try to be like Christ. I think a big problem is our focus. Oftentimes I'll say, well, I'm going to work on being submit, submissive, but 
the reason I'm doing that isn't so much because I want to obey God. I want to glorify him. It's like, I'm going to do this, but my real goal is to change my husband, is to make him be what I want him to be so that I can be happy. And it's not going to work. And the same goes for the husband. But if I am obeying God out of faith and dependence, because God knows what's best, God knows how the family is to work, and I'm going to trust him with that. And I will obey God to the best of my ability and leave the result to him. And whether my husband does his part or not, whether my husband changes or not, whether we I end up being happy or not, because a lot of people go through everything, their lives just working on doing what they can to be happy, more so than out of obedience and a life of faith. And so if I choose, I am going to depend on God. I'm going to let him live his life through me and I will live in obedience to what he has asked of me and leave the results up to him. Then I I can rest because I am doing what he has asked me to do. And like Dave said, I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to need to ask forgiveness and, and start again. But the focus needs to be to please God more than it needs to be to please my husband. Awesome. Man, this is this is exciting. We've only just begun. We are about 30 minutes to come to the end of our show. And that verse has struck deep, uh, Dave. Take my yoke upon you. And and, and and it says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I think carrying any other burden is is exhausting. It is exhausting. And thank you so much, uh, 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 Madam Carol, because it's, okay. it's we can't. We just cannot. We can't submit to get what we want. It just will not work. And I think our focus should be in obedience to Christ. And eventually, our husbands and our wives will see it. They will see it. Eventually, they will see it, but we cannot focus on pleasing them because men are difficult. Again, that's not to neglect and uh, live by ourselves in a way, but the focus should be Christ. And I'm looking forward to what the next 30 minutes are going to mean for each one of us who have tuned in tonight. Thank you guys so much for joining. Samuel, I saw you. Terrence, glad you're here. Grace Damari, thank you so much for being here. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. And Grace to be there. It's awesome that you are also listening in here. Um, we, um, um, if you have any questions, Grace, please go ahead <laughs> and post them in the chat. We are willing to answer them uh, tonight. But let's pray together, and I'll ask uh, Dave to share with us exclusively, uninterrupted. And if you have any questions, please post them in the chat uh, for Dave and Sue uh, to be able to answer tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Looking forward to what you're going to teach us through your word. And we pray that the questions we may have concerning our marriages will be answered. Um, and that at least we will we will just leave this place more blessed than we came in a way where our hearts are softened uh, to, to yield to obedience to you. And why? Because even in listening right now, I know that most of us are stuck in our ways. We think we are right. But we pray that your Holy Spirit will uh, gently cause us to see the truth um, of your word. And as the examples are going to be shared by Dave and Sue in how this has worked in the past according to your word and in their own lives, we pray that we too will be willing to learn and learn from you. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dave, I'm quiet Okay, now. thank you so much. 
yes, we, we have some thoughts prepared here that uh, we will be sharing tonight, uh, Wednesday, as well as Friday. Uh, tonight, more as an introduction to this whole idea of Christ-centered marriage. We've already uh, talked about some of the things that we had wanted to note. Um, just to, to whet the interest of your listeners, and have some have become our friends, some we met when we were there uh, in Uganda with you all in 2017. Uh, tonight, we're just going to give a, 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 an introduction about some problems that make it complicated for us to have a truly Christ-centered family. But at the same time, we want to deal with two specific areas where Christ-centered living can manifest itself in the home. We're going to talk about on Wednesday how a Christ-centered marriage manifests itself in communication and on Friday, how it will man manifest itself in the inevitable conflict that comes into every home. So two C's for you to remember and to look forward to on our next two programs. What does a Christ-centered marriage look like in the way the husband and wife and then parents and children and in-laws and all of that? How does it affect our communication with one another? And then Friday... What does this look like in the midst of inevitable conflict that all of us encounter in our relationships? We already talked about the difference between putting Christ first in our relationship as opposed to having him in the center. The idea that as we aim at the goal of glorifying Christ in all that we do, it, it doesn't just become an add-on to the other things we do, even if we do it first, but it actually influences everything that we do throughout the day. In our perspective, there are two specific problems that complicate a Christ-centered family and a Christ-centered marriage. Number one is that we fail to recognize danger signs of what we would call idols of the heart. Idols of the heart which substitute Christ on the throne of our homes. Ezekiel chapter 14 is where that whole concept of idols of the heart comes from as it describes the elders, the leaders of Israel, the actually the southern kingdom of Judah, who had established within the temple itself a secret place where they bowed down to the queen of heaven, to the moon and the sun and the stars, and they had erected idols in their hearts, even though their outward motions all looked good, at the level of the heart, they had really substituted God and his glory with other things. Most of us today don't consider ourselves idolaters, but the fact is, when we put anything else in the place of Jesus at the center of our lives, pleasing him, and, and many times those can be good things, that look good to the outside world, but they actually occupy the center. That would be the first problem. The second problem is in Christianity, oftentimes we focus on cliches, truisms, phrases that we, we banter about, but we fail to define. We don't put hands and feet on what it means 
for example, to have a Christ-centered marriage or a Christ-centered family. We do the same thing when we talk about glorifying God. How often do we say, I want to glorify God in everything I do, and we never put hands and feet on that concept. We'd like to do that tonight as our in, in our introduction. Uh, talk about a few of the idols that occupy the center and then explain a little bit more in detail what does it really mean to put Christ in the center of our home. There's a verse that I often think about in the book of Psalms, Psalm 11, verse 3, which asks a question that I think relates to what we're talking about as well when it says this, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The psalmist actually asks that question. We need to ask the question ourselves as we watch the foundations of the home being torn apart, destroyed in every society by politicians, by religious leaders, by family leaders themselves. Interesting that these two years of pandemic have actually revealed improper, inappropriate, faulty foundations in our homes they have not created those fractures, those failures, those poor foundations. What they've done is exposed them. Uh, as, as hurricanes pass through a coastline, they will often remove dirt and sand from beaches and reveal structures or failures in structures that others had never noticed. Um, oftentimes earthquakes in, in, on seismic faults will reveal the failures that were already existent in foundations. So what would be the answer to that question? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Another Psalm actually answers that question. I think we probably dealt with this in another program, but just to remind your listeners, Psalm 127 says this, unless the Lord builds the house or the home, those who build it, labor in vain. Psalm 127 is, was the theme of our marriage almost 40 years ago. And it, it answers the problem of a poor foundation of, of Christ who is not at the center. He wants to build our homes. But if we try to do it in our own strength, or if we build the foundation on idols of the heart, which can include trying to please your spouse, putting your spouse before the Lord, putting your children before the Lord, putting your career before the Lord, putting ministry before the Lord. All of these things can reveal themselves as faulty foundations. We're not really building a Christ-centered, God-centered home. It's really about us. And so we've already said there are no perfect families. All of our families have faulty foundations. And it's then that we discover the reality of our need for Christ in the center. And when we say Christ in the center, now we're talking about grace and we're talking about forgiveness. A Christ-centered marriage is one where Christ's grace reigns supreme where the forgiveness that each of us individually received from Christ is freely extended to the other. 
When that happens, we do not have to live with the goal of being a perfect family because there are none. We do not have to hold the golden mask of performance and and pleasing others because at some point our arms become weary and the mask falls and the true nature of our hearts is revealed. So in all of this conversation about a Christ-centered home, we need to be aware of idols of the heart which take the place of Christ and his grace and forgiveness in the context of the home. It's interesting that even as Ezekiel 14 talks about idols of the heart, the small book of 1 John actually finishes with the same challenge. 1 John 5.21, the last word that John leaves in his first epistle is this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why would John end his letter to his readers with that concern? Keep yourselves from idols. And the answer is simple, because even those of us who know the Lord, who have embraced him as our all-sufficient Savior, who have, have thrown ourselves over the abyss of hell in the only expectation that his finished work on the cross is a sufficient bridge to take us to the other side. But even we who have Christ as our first priority, we've dedicated our lives to him, perhaps at a, at a campfire service, perhaps in a, in a church challenge, but idols are constantly creeping into the center of our lives. Some of them are easy to identify. Some families are entertainment centered and we live from one, one adrenaline rush to another. Others are things centered. And so we're constantly purchasing things to, to give us that injection of, of, of excitement as we purchase and we consume. Other people are career-centered, and subtly their work becomes the center. One that we've found that I'd like my wife even to comment on is, is marriages that are happiness-centered. This has, has been a growing phenomenon, and we've heard and counseled so many couples in distress because of this problem. We've heard so many people, um, couples who come for counseling and say, well, I have the right to be happy. The problem is there is no verse in the Bible that tells us we have that right. Um, God is more interested in our being holy than he is in our being happy. And oftentimes your spouse is exactly the tool that God is using in your life to make you more holy, to make you look more like Jesus. And as we... Um, submit ourselves to the work that God is doing in our lives, usually one of the results is that we are happy. But when we look for the, when our final goal is our own happiness, we most often will not find it. Our goal needs to be to become more like Christ and trust him with the state of our emotions. Ironically, we can even have a ministry-centered marriage and family. Now, we believe that the family is not the center of all things by any means, but neither is ministry. A Christ-centered, God-centered family 
is one that puts others first, but puts his kingdom first. But that does not mean that we live our identities based on fulfillment from ministering to other people. Even ministry can be a wrong centered. We spoke earlier in the program in one of your questions, David, about a spouse centered and a child centered family. If we make the family our idol, we will also be miserably disappointed. Neither our spouse nor our child can be the focus of our home. Couples that come for counseling so often are intent on changing their spouse, and they're even willing to change themselves in multiple ways, as Carol Sue already mentioned, to get what they want. But we often challenge these couples in the midst of distress and crisis in their homes. God may never change your spouse. In fact, that's not even his goal in this situation. His goal is that you would look more like Christ even as a result of this crisis. And that can include everything from a, an insensitive husband, an adulterous wife, a child-centered parent, disagreements, severe disagreements about finances and debt. But the ultimate goal that God would have in the midst of crises and storms that devastate many families is not to change others, but to use those situations that we ourselves would be changed to look more like Christ. And that's where we wanted to get today. The first problem that we mentioned is idols of the heart, which would substitute Christ on the throne of our lives. And I would challenge each one of us, us as a couple, uh, you, David, and Grace, and all those who are with us. And I know that uh, some of them have been with us in the seminars in the past, were involved in ministry to examine and evaluate what is your motive? What is your goal? What is your identity? Is it based in your relationship with Christ or is it based on the things you do for Christ? Is it your happiness or is it holiness? Is it looking more like Christ or is it making your spouse or your children look like Christ? But the second thing we wanted to do here, just to set the table for our other sessions on Wednesday and Friday and here at the end to answer some questions, is to put hands and feet on what it means to have a Christ-centered life and then extend that to a Christ-centered marriage and family. And just as an example, I feel like so often in the church, we major on unexplained concepts, unexplained things to do. How often do we talk about glorifying God, but we don't explain what it means to glorify God? Uh, just as a, as a brief parenthesis, uh, the Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod, which really means weight or heavy. When we glorify God in the Old Testament, it means that we reveal God in his importance or his heaviness. Some would say God is the heavyweight champion of the universe. We can't make him any more heavy, any more important. What we can do is reveal to others the importance, the weight, 
the priority that God has in our lives. So even a simple concept like glorifying God, which we make so esoteric or mystical, has very concrete, practical applications. Am I revealing to others in the way I do my ministry, in the way I live my life, in the way I have my priorities, in the way I love my wife, in the way I parent my children, am I showing that God is the most important being, that I am weak and fragile and frail. And apart from God, there is no explanation for my life. That's what glorifying God means. So what does it mean to have Christ in the center of our families? Well, we often talk about putting Christ first or having Christ in the center. We talk about the what, but we don't talk about the how. And that's what we're going to do in the rest of our programs. I'm going to give some examples of that as well, how in the church we're really good in majoring on unexplained concepts. For example, in family ministry, uh, for years we teach uh, husbands and wives to, that they need to pray together. So you need to pray with your spouse. Do this, do that, but we never show them how. We never explain to them or demonstrate to them. We do the same thing when we talk about family devotions or family altar or family worship. Do, 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 you need to do this, but we never demonstrate what does this look like with children who are two and four years of age. We tell couples, you need to have a family budget. You need to control your finances. Your finances need to glorify God so that you show all people through your giving and, and your lack of debt and, and your trusting God. That, But we never sit down and show them what a godly budget looks like. We major on concepts that are unexplained and not dramatized. One thing we've learned and we've tried to do more in our seminars with families, both in parenting as well as in the husband-wife relationship, is to dramatize. What does a family devotional time look like for two to four-year-olds, for five to seven-year-olds, for teenagers, and, and, and make that concrete and real? All of that to say, excuse me for this digression, I want to explain, we want to share what well, we would understand that a Christ-centered family means. Uh, and to do that, I'd like to give a syllogism, a logical argument, two premises and a conclusion about Christ-centered marriage. And it involves the concept of glorifying God. Number one, we glorify God when we reveal his importance in our lives when we look like Christ. God is glorified when we look like Christ. Number two, we look like Christ, not the Christ of the middle-aged portraits with a, a golden halo over his head and these fragile feminine hands cupped in front of him. That's not what Christ looks like in the New Testament. We look like Christ when we live and others centered life. We look like Christ when we live in others-centered marriage. The conclusion then is that when we live an others-centered marriage, we reveal God's glory, his importance in our lives. God is glorified in us when we look like his son Jesus in the context of our marriages. 
Now, we're going to explain what that looks like in our communication as a husband, wife, parents, and children on Wednesday. We're going to explain what that looks like in the inevitable conflicts. What does Christ look like when husband and wife don't agree? How can we glorify God by looking like Christ? Now, I'm going to have Carol Sue read two verses that say exactly that, that we look, we have a Christ-centered life and marriage when we look like the other-centeredness of Jesus. And then I want to illustrate that a couple of ways. The first verse is Mark 10, verse 45, and it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus, the Son of God, who had all rights, did not come down here demanding that we serve him. No, he came to serve and to give his life. So when we serve others, when our focus is the happiness or joy or the betterment of other people, we look like Jesus. So putting feet to this whole concept, what we're saying is God is glorified when the essence of Jesus is manifested in our lives. The question is, what does it mean to look like Jesus then? And the answer is that we look like Jesus when we live an others-centered life. The second verse is so well known, but it comes from the book of Philippians. And there's so many other verses we could add here, but, but I, we're going to make this really concrete and tangible in a moment. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So to make this really practical, a Christ-centered marriage is one in which each is for the other and both are for God. A Christ-centered marriage is an others-centered marriage. First, the spouse becomes one of, it's not the goal or the focus, but it becomes the object of my servanthood. It, she becomes the, the one whom I most try to give up my rights and my privileges in order to serve and vice versa. And we do this even if the other is unwilling to do his or her part. Biblical marriage is not 50-50. It is essentially 100-0. But it's also from the other side, 100, zero. I would sum up all of this by saying biblical marriage grows in the other-centeredness of Christ in the confines of the home, but then from the home outward to the world. Family and missions, missions and the family manifesting the glory of God through the other-centeredness of Christ. When we talk about looking like Jesus 
as a family and as an individual. I, I can imagine I actually have at least two Uganda team jerseys that I was given when we ministered there. And and believe it or not, I wear them all the time. In fact, I think these last several days, I, I didn't even take my white Uganda team jersey off uh, for several days. It started to smell, but that's another story. Well, if you're in an airport somewhere in the world and you, some perhaps hear um, the majority from Uganda, but you can substitute. I also have a Kenya team jersey and, and, and you see someone wearing the jersey from your national team. That glorifies the fatherland. That you, your chest puffs out in pride. That's my team. That's my country. The same is true with our Brazilian team jerseys, which are actually quite well recognized everywhere in the world. But I can imagine when each of us wears the team jersey of heaven, which has Jesus' name and number on the back. And as God the Father peers out from heaven and sees the other-centeredness of Jesus being manifested in our husband-wife relationships, in the parent-child relationship, sacrificing our own quote unquote, rights and pleasures and privileges for the sake of others. And he beckons to Gabriel or to Michael and says, Gabriel, did you see what, what Florence just did there? That looks just like my son. Did you see what Gibson just did there in his relationship with his fiance? Like that reminds me so much of Jesus. And, and then the father is glorified because his goal is to exalt his son, Jesus. For those who are married in our audience, you know the truth of what I'm about to say. If you want to discover how little you look like Christ, how self-centered and selfish you are, get married. In that first year, you will discover. But that's a wonderful thing because God uses our spouse to reveal our selfishness so that the Holy Spirit can chip away those areas that don't look like Christ we could then become like Jesus and glorify the Father. And ultimately, that is our goal. Biblical marriage is each for the other, both for God. Biblical marriage grows in the other-centeredness of Christ. And just as a little tidbit for later, you want to get a double or triple dose of how selfish you are, have children, and you will definitely learn that. Wednesday, we're going to talk about what a Christ-centered, other-centered life looks like in communication and then on Friday in conflict. But we need to end for there. I don't know if there's some questions, David. I pass it back to you. Thank you so much, uh, Dave. Um, that jersey, I don't know if it got washed, but I hope it did. <laughs> the Ugandan jersey that you are talking about. <laughs> but, you know, you, you did remind me of a friend. I think he actually tuned in today without mentioning names that uh, was talking about uh, in, a, in, a, in a fellowship we, we attend together. He did mention that, I mean, just like any one of us men, we do love to leave our stuff everywhere, socks, uh, shirts, <laughs> all, all over the house. And he says his wife had a problem with that. And so he just keep doing it. He kept doing it. Then one day he decided to organize his clothes and put them back where they ought to be. And then the wife didn't say anything. And, and uh, so he told her, man, I've been leaving these clothes everywhere. You've been making noise. Now I've organized them. You're quiet. You didn't even compliment me. <laughs> and then she said, but they're your clothes. You need to look after them. <laughs> and he answered and said, they were my clothes, even when they were disorganized. 
and you <laughs> still had a problem with them. But that that disorganized clothes everywhere is a conversation we probably are going to be having one day on this podcast when we talked about men that do dishes. I hope that someday Mr. Dave and Sue will get a chance to answer that well, very, very David, complex uh, question. I yes. just, I'm gonna, let me jump in quickly there because we actually deal with that issue in one of our books called um, Encountering Life's Storms in the Marriage. And, and after we talk about some of the principles we've mentioned here, one of the first chapters we deal with is mm. bad habits among the couple. And, and let me just, just to help this, this be really practical, we deal with this from two, from two approaches. Number one, why are you so stubborn and selfish that you refuse to put your clothes away when you know that this other centered gesture will please your wife? But the other side of that is, why is something like clothes on the floor so important to you that you will risk your marriage in order to get what you want? Now, I, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to ask your spouse to be neat, but, but the, the demands might never end. And the question for each heart is, what does the other-centeredness of Christ look like even in demanding other things from the other? <laughs> yeah, you like that one, huh? <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, Dave. Oh my goodness, that's like the that's like the ultimate part of this show. This is awesome. What's the name of that book again? Please remind us of the name of the book. Well, it's only, it, we only it? it doesn't help you. It's only in Portuguese. So your your listeners, we're <laughs> we're gradually we are gradually translating. We have four or five our, of our books on Amazon Kindle. Um, that since in English, since we've been with you all in, in Uganda and Kenya and South Africa and other places uh, that we have translated, but it's a slow, long process. We have 19 books published so far, uh, but only four or five of them in our English. We actually have uh, one, two of our books that are in Bengali uh, from Bangladesh. So gradually they're being translated into other languages. Oh my goodness. There's a friend here asking for your contacts. I think with your permission, I'll be able to give them to you. He was part of the conference that you did here in Uganda. His name is sure. Gibson. He's getting married soon. I'm sure he'll be glad uh, to just have a moment with you if that is possible. Sure. But Dave, Dave, thank you. Thank you so much. I cannot wait for Wednesday. Let me just make a comment here briefly, if you allow me to. I do not know what your program looks like. Right now, we are in uh, bonus features of the movie. The movie already ended at 10. We are two minutes into the bonus features. But <laughs> Madame Carol did mention a comment here that most couples you receive and counsel have this statement, I have a right to be happy. Um, it, it, it manifests itself also in other ways where he, I deserve to be made happy. In other words, it's his job to make me happy. And Grace, my wife, has responded to this, of course, with a verse that could be out of context, but at least it brings out the point in Galatians chapter 5, where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And of course, the list goes on. And that fruit is not the fruit of the husband, is love, joy, peace. It's the Holy Spirit that will give you this fruit in your life. Don't expect your husband to be your source of joy um, in that sense. But if you think about it, Sadness can also be a symptom of something, Dave. Um, we serve others sometimes at the expense of our happiness. And others have taken this example to the extreme and have concluded that you need to love yourself first. After all, the commandment is love 
your neighbor as you love yourself. And so you need to love yourself first. And the argument has also been you cannot bring happiness to others when you're sad. So some people are, some people are difficult to be around. But how, 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 what would you say concerning that where people are saying, well, I need to love myself first, me time first, before okay. I can love other people as we come to the end of our show? Yeah, that, that's a, we, and you should probably write that down for another another conversation as well. I'll give a quick um, interaction with that. First off, that is a totally unbiblical concept. Um, we already love ourselves. Our problem is we love ourselves too much. Uh, the essence of a Christ-centered life and marriage is to learn to love others as we love ourselves already. Even the person who commits suicide, with rare exceptions of, of chemical or hormonal imbalance, perhaps, is really a, a victim of self-love. He loves himself so much that he will do anything to end his suffering, all the while increasing tremendously the suffering of others. Ultimately, our problem is we love ourselves too much. I, I, you married well, David. You married very well because Grace really, really had a, a wonderful <laughs> thought in that text in Galatians chapter five. But let me just um, let me back up a little bit. My goal in marriage is not to make myself happy, but to manifest the other centeredness of Christ in making my spouse happy. Now, that is not my identity. If I cannot do that, if she is never happy, I, I don't base my identity on that. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, in the context of divorce in Israel, gives a, a remedy and says, for the very first year of marriage, the husband's goal should be to make his wife happy. That is a biblical concept. It does not say, wife, your role, your goal in the first year of marriage is to make your husband make you happy. So as I am pursuing my own holiness and looking like Christ, that will manifest itself, yes, in doing what I can to please my wife or my husband. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, 5, and then 1 Corinthians 7 at the end says, if you are married, your responsibility is to care for your spouse. You cannot neglect your spouse and justify that in terms of ministry. Well, I'm, I'm serving God, so other people will make my spouse happy or content or provide for the needs. The problem comes when my goal becomes I'm going to make sure that my spouse makes me happy. Now we've reversed everything. What God wants in the husband-wife relationship, in communication, in conflict, and I'll even throw some more, um, some more gas on the fire, in the sexual relationship of the husband and wife, the other's centeredness of Christ is to manifest itself in which I am more interested in promoting the joy, the ecstasy, the pleasure of my spouse than I am in getting from my spouse pleasure, be it sexual or any other type. And that's probably enough for today. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much. Um, I hope that uh, you guys have been blessed. I personally have been blessed. And uh, if we continue, we will not have Wednesday. And so we want Wednesday to come. And I'm looking forward to these two extra pieces of episodes that we'll be doing as we think about the Christ-centered marriage when it comes to one, communication this coming Wednesday, and then conflict when it comes to Friday. Please go ahead and invite friends. Let me challenge you to find about two friends who you would like to be a part of this. 
let them know that we are live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you'd like more content, and I know Dave has some PowerPoints that go with this. He has some notes that go with this. Dave, we've built... Uh, a community of believers on cabindevils.com since you were last on the show. And we allow them to subscribe via email. And on a weekly basis, we send them some extra content. And so if you'd like to receive this content, just go right now to cabindevils.com and give us your email address uh, right there. And we're able to remind you when we have shows and extra content like what he's going to be sharing with us this will come straight to your inbox. But guys, thank you. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank uh, you. For sharing. I know it's been a long day, several hours of driving, but thank you. Thank you so much for being here. We cannot wait to have you again. Guys, have a good night. And good night. Hope to see you again. May God bless you. If you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to bed, you, you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils. Your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time.